people welcome to another episode of the coop cast i'm psyched that you guys are here today i hope that you guys listened to the last episode of the coop cast episode 15 uh, with coach sarah scazzaro she her and i we talked about uh, strength training for ultra running and is uh is that the right decision for you should you actually incorporate strength training into your ultra running routine and this podcast is simply an extension of that if you determined yes that hey i want to include strength training in my uh, uh in my running routine i feel that it will be a benefit to my performance or i want to use it to try to reduce my chance of injury this podcast is for you and we run through the entire run of show we take a scenario where we look at an athlete that we have nine months to work with and what we would do throughout those nine months not only from a strength training perspective but also from a running perspective which you cannot disassociate those two you have to include both of them at at the at the at the same time we go over some scenarios for realistic athlete scenarios if you only have 5 months to train 6 months to train should you actually incorporate strength training how little time do you need what's the minimum effective dose that you need to get a benefit from strength training and we talk about some things to avoid what's not strength training so if you loved the last episode of the coopcast you're going to love this one even more super practical very relevant some you'll have things that you can absolutely take into the weight room and out onto the trails tomorrow or today if you're listening to this before your run you'll have some things that you can absolutely take away from this that you can implement immediately so here we go without any further ado here is my conversation strength training part two with cts coach sarah i knew i would mess her name up we've been joking about this with each other every single every single time scazzaro sarah scazzaro on strength training for ultra running I don't even know. <laughs> Talking names, all pronunciation. Right, right. <laughs> Scazzaro. That's my. Uh, there we go. Is that right? Is that close? That was right. Scazzaro. Really? Right, no, so. that was spot on. All right. You got to give me. You got to give me like positive reinforcement, and then when I fuck it up, you get just got to say, oh, "God, you're an idiot." <laughs> just use it a couple times during yeah, this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I get the chance. If I, if I, so my my default fully admit this. My default is is like. If I'm ever in a situation where I would know I'm going to flub whatever word I want to use, I just divert to a simpler word, which I should probably do more often. But in your case, it's your first name. It's my last <laughs> name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to call me Sarah. 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 It's Sarah. easy. It's easy. Sarah. 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 Instead yeah. of Scazar. See, there we go. Scazaro. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. That's good. But see, I'll still yeah. flub it, though, even when I know what I'm doing. Anyway. Um, okay. So let's, 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 let's get into it. Um, Let's first start out. This is part two of ten, but of, of two of two in this in in this series at least. Um, we'll come back to it at a certain point, but we'll we'll try to put a bookend in these in these first two. Um, so this is part two that uh, Coach Sarah and I have been doing on strength training for ultra runners, 
And if for those of you that are just t- tuning into this one, we did a, a previous podcast on this whole concept of is this a, a right training modality for you? Is it a right training modality from an injury prevention standpoint? And is it the right training modality from an ergogenic standpoint? So if you haven't listened to that and you want to determine if you are a good candidate, I'd refer back to that podcast first. Um, this one is going to be all about programming. How did actually do it correctly? We're going to kind of get into some nitty gritty. But first, before we start out, let's give like the quick elevator pitch, Sarah, on what we discussed the last time, which that podcast would have been released last week. Yes. So we discussed the difference between strength training for running performance and strength training for injury prevention and more corrective work. And where would that, what's the difference between the two and is strength training for for performance something you want to adopt throughout your training cycle? And is that a smart idea? And we defined strength training performance uh, in based on all of the studies we reviewed on it's usually a one to five sets of one to five reps, very, very heavy weight, generally giving about a two to four percent increase in running economy and VO2 max. And then we discussed whether or not that was a benefit that would transfer over to ultra running and are there alternative methods that maybe would get better performance return for the amount of work involved. I love those caveats. Okay. I'm going to add to the caveats (laughs) as well. So the the few percent, I'll I'll even summarize the one to 4% a little bit more. So the the few percent uh, improvements, I think you can categorize across a number of different things. You mentioned VO2 max, running economy. Those are the two kind of top physiological improvements that we look at, but also there've been performance types of improvements, whether that's 10K time trial or uh, time to exhaustion test. And they all still fit within this few percent range, no matter how you slice and dice it. One of the, one of the things that I've always been curious about is how any of those translate into ultra running performance. And that is a totally kind of different topic, but I think suffice it to say, whenever we're, when we're talking about strength training, it's plausible that you could get a few percent improvement in raw performance. If you incorporate strength training, I honestly think that the biggest caveat to that, and we talked about that in this in the first, uh, uh, in the first podcast is the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of those studies are done a on college age men. And most people that we're working with, Sarah, you and I are working with are not college age men. And B, most of the time, not all of the time, somebody's going to throw one or two or three studies at me that violates this. And that's totally fine. Most of the time, the study intervention or the strength training intervention is done in addition to the run programming. And so that the way that the A, B groups work out that they're comparing is the A group, the A group does running and the B group does the exact same running plus strength training. So in that sense, it's an additional form of training. And you could say that that's just like doing additional miles, additional intervals or whatever. So I always add those, those kind of those types of caveats when we're, when we're looking at the research is that most of it is done on college age men always have to consider that. 
And the second one is, 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 is mo- most, not all, most of the research has been done where the strength training is in addition to the primary modality, whether it's running or cycling or whatever it is. Correct. Okay. Those are our caveats for <laughs> to, su- to, summarize, to, 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 to kind of summarize it. So let's assume, Sarah, that somebody listened to the last podcast, they're, they're trying to become kind of well-educated on this, and they decide, hey, I'm a candidate to incorporate strength training as an ergogenic aid. We're going to keep kind of like that category first. I want to incorporate strength training into my, into my training program as a whole as an ergogenic aid. And let's assume that we have the perfect scenario. We have time to work with. We have an athlete that is a college-aged male, which is what all the research is based off of. <laughs> Sarah's, you guys can't see this. This is a failure of audio. She's rolling over in her chair right now laughing. We can assume that the, that the, that the athlete is a college-aged male and they're going to adapt to this stress, right? And they, yes. have unlimited, they have unlimited amount of time or they have enough time to where they can actually incorporate it. Let's go through kind of like phase by phase or piece by piece what part of or sort what that strength training would actually look like. So let's kind of first start out with is what would be a, a, a good or an ideal amount of time for you to get a new athlete and to say, I'm going to start to incorporate, you've already made the yes decision. I'm going to start okay. to incorporate strength training with that, with, that, with that particular athlete. What's the rough right amount of time? And then we'll walk through that timeline. So from starting to the end of the, the race, so let's say if we're going to go from the psych, the, the whole situation from beginning to end, eight to nine months, Okay. let's eight say my months. athletes event is in July or August and we're starting in December. Okay. Okay. Yeah, in January. Okay. okay. Eight to nine months. So correct. Well, how many, how many different compartments do you want to, do you want to divide this eight or nine months into? I think three. three. I think we can do three. Performance kind of in the middle and then more of that injury prevention at the end. Okay, perfect. So let's make it nine months so the math doesn't get too hard for me. So we can do kind of three months at a time, right? Is that fair? Perfect. Okay. That we'll, do, works. We'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do three months at a time. So you get your perfect athlete, Sarah, Sarah, in your perfect scenario. They want to start strength training. What does the first three months look like? And we're going to go through set and rec combination. We're going to go through Correct. the types of different exercise, set and rep combination and intensity. I think that's the, the right way to mm-hmm. structure it first. And then we'll go through like the different types of exercises. So why don't you walk us through that? Yeah. So if we're starting in the very beginning, um, we can also add a caveat that this person might have a little strength training background. They might sure. not. Okay. We'll see. Sure, but sure. Um, so in the beginning for performance enhancement, um, a lot of what we're going to be looking at is three to five reps, three to five sets. So this is going to be 87 to 93% of your one rep max. This is going to be heavy, heavy lifting. Um, it's generally more compound movement and it can include skill-based movements like plyometric explosive movements are usually found in this phase for performance enhancement. And this is the time where you really, and the reason I like to do this in the beginning, way away from our event is because there's more of a cost benefit balance here. So the hard, hard training you're going to be doing in the gym does not translate well as your run volume increases, which as we go along this timeline will kind of make more sense. So we generally program with a push, pull, hinge, squat, carry type of situation. And let's Um, pause really quick. Push, pull, squat, hinge, carry. 
refers yes. to like a category of different exercises. Correct. These so are each, movements. The, or movements, I guess, is a better yeah. way to put it. So a push can be five or six different things. A pull can be five or six different things. A squat yeah. could be five or different things. A hinge or a hip hinge is where you'll hear that in strength training as well. Could be several different things. And a carry can be manipulated se several different ways. But we'll refer back to these categories I think realizing, and I want the audience to understand this as well, because they might not have a, a robust strength training background, realizing that each of those categories could be one of a few different exercises or set, or if you're in strength training, it could be 50 different exercises for a pull, right? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. to kind of simplify it, when you, when you think of a push, you often think of like a bench press or a push up or a push press and a pull can be like a cable row or a barbell row or a chin up where you're pulling your body or pulling a weight towards you, a hinge Romanian deadlift, um, something like that. Squat can be a variation of a squat, goblet squat, front squat, and the like. And then a carry, um, a good example of that is like a farmer's carry where you carry a weight around. I, I know. Why do we have to call it a farmer's carry? Why can't we just call it carry the weight carry. from this end of the room to that? Like what, it, like, what is it about farmers like you're that, carrying your, your heavy hay bales and then there's a butler's carrier. Yeah. Oh, and then a butler's, butler's carry carrier, carries yeah, it above. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they give it cute names oh, so that, God. yeah. So then again, you feel badass in the gym. You're a farmer. <laughs> a farmer. You're not just, it's you're right. not just in the gym, Coop. You're a farmer. Hey, I worked on an experiment farm for two years. I, and I've seen firsthand how hard it is work. that the, they're the, they're one of the only professions in the U S right now that actually still work for a living. Not the only, but one of the only people oh, yeah. where they actually physically work for a living. That's another story. Yeah. And so that's why, again, farmers carry because you're working. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, sorry. I, 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 I definitely digress the conversation there. Let's get back into the first, into the first three, into the first three months. Let's kind of recap it really quick. Sets, reps, intensity, and then let's go over the, the different types of exercises that would be good in this, in this phase. Okay. So back to sets and, sets and reps, yep. we're looking at three to five reps, three to five sets about 87 to 93% of your one rep max. So yep. this is going to be pretty heavy. This yep. is really, you're really working here. It's hard. Um, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. You're not, you should not have, if you can do three to five reps, you're, you're tanked by that fifth one. You're not like, yeah, I could have done another four or five. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's, that's right there. Um, and it's going to be a lot of these compound movements to include the push pull and squat and carry. Okay. Let's do two examples of each type of movement that would be applicable in this particular phase, starting with, we'll go push first, just give it, give two and give like a one sentence description of how each one of those looks. Oh, as far as intensity or no, as no, far no, as no, no. Like, actual, like exercise? actual exercise? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. A bench press. Bench so press, laying on your back on a bench. Yep. Yep. That'd be a push. So you can use a barbell or dumbbells, yep. lay, lay back on a bench, Yep. push the weight away from you, yep. bring it back down. Yep. Okay. Yep. What's another example? Uh, a pull. A pull, no, 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 a cable, stay, stay or on a push. barbell row. Let's stay oh, on I'm push. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, a push. Um, push press. So that could be seated or standing. Dumbbells held at shoulder length. Push the weight up. Bring it down. Yep. That easy. can also be done with a barbell. Easy. Yeah, easy. These are really pretty easy. Okay. As far as what they entail, uh, a pull can be a cable row. So you stand at a cable machine, have a handle, get into a nice, a nice split squat stance and pull the row, the, the movement towards you. Like you're rowing, but with a cable, you can also do a chin up or a uh, assisted chin up. So you, if you're, if you're badass and you can do chin ups, more of the power to you. <laughs> and oh, otherwise I wanted to mention this. 
I've met my hero in the gym on Monday. Who is this? It's this guy. I think his name, I think oh, I'm going to space on his name. I think his name is Barry. He's 82. Okay. He's 82 years old. And he comes in the gym every single Monday. He looks, he looks absolutely fantastic. And he probably spends about 90 minutes in the gym. So he's there before I get there. And he's still there after I leave. Cause I'm only there for like 40 or 60 minutes. And like I said, early, early eighties. And he, he's, he always goes hard. Like he'll just pick a machine and pick what's is seemingly a random weight. And he'll just go until he can't go anymore. But Monday, I, I will swear on my mother's grave. I saw him knock out nine real chin-ups. Wow. Or sorry, pull-ups. Pull-ups. We all, we, we all need nine, to be buried. Nine, nine. <laughs> that is amazing. And he comes in every day in like this long sleeve dress shirt and khaki pants. I know, so sweet. And after he knocked all those out, I was just like, I got to introduce myself to this guy because he's my hero. And so we just sat down and talked for five or 10 minutes or whatever. I was like, dude, dude, I gave him a fist bump and he walked out of the gym. It was awesome. <laughs> it was so awesome. Oh, I love that. I so love anyway. seeing strength carry over an age, you oh. know? So it's not one of those things that you lose. Yeah. And so that's fantastic. I yeah. love to hear that. Okay. So um, there we go. We have, so all have something to aspire to. <laughs> Barry. Barry. Just remember Barry next oh time you're gosh. in the gym. <laughs> um, so then moving on to like a, a hinge mm-hmm. would be like a Romanian deadlift, which you can do single or double leg. Um, so you're going to stand, you're going to hinge from the hips, which I will say that as a personal trainer and coach, the hinge can be one of the most difficult things to coach actually in the gym because most people turn it into a squat. So if you're not sure on how to properly do a Romanian deadlift, that's definitely an exercise that you're going to want to grab a trainer, grab somebody who knows what they're doing um, to get that proper position of a hinge because you're not going to get the full benefit of the movement. Um, That's very uh, hamstring glute dominant. So you're going to take the weight in front of you, hinge the hips back, the weights go towards the ground, your back remains flat in neutral position, and then you're going to drive up and bring your weight, the weight back up as you stand into a standing position. And so it's basically more of like a stretch. It feels more of a stretch on the hamstrings, but it's activating that muscle group. What do you think? So when you're working with athletes, what do you think is like the safest version of that? Like you get somebody with no prior strength training experience and you know, you want them to do some type of hinge. Uh, What what is like the safest way to start out with? Because there's a lot of different variations of this. There are. Uh, honestly, the safest way to learn how to hinge is even just using like a broomstick and a wall and 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 like no weight at all until you can get that hinge. Um, or alternatively, you can use a cable as well. So you can go up to a cable machine and attach the cable, the handle to the weight stack and go into that hinge position and you still have that weight as you pull up, but it's not going to stress. It's not going to put that weight on the low back in the front of you as much. With the cable at like its lowest position? Is that what you're mm-hmm. thinking? Okay. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Okay. I've seen people yeah, do that yeah. before. So, so as you go down, it you know the the weight pulls you down, and then as you come up, you're you're pulling the weight stack up. Got it. But a lot of people can benefit of just practicing this movement with a broomstick and body weight. So. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get, I mean, it's like with anything. You you don't wait a movement until you can do the movement properly. Sure. With body weight. Yep. I mean, so, that's how, that's um, how, uh, that's initially when I was taught Olympic lifts and I know this is different than a, than a hinge. Um, when I was taught Olympic lifts is actually after I, I, I went through a full collegiate program, which is actually rather ironic because I went to a big, you know, big track and field university and, um, 
uh, we did no Olympic lifting there. Um, we did, we did strength training, uh, but it was all like what I would call just like normal types of strength training. We didn't do any plyometrics or any Olympic lifts or anything like that, which is you, you see rather prevalently in a collegiate system right now. And it wasn't actually until I started working with CTS where we had a strength training coach, um, by the name of Meg Stone, who who anybody who's been in the strength training game for any period of time will recognize her and or her husband, Mike Stone's uh, name in terms of just developing, particularly Olympic lifting and other types of programming in the, in the Olympic, uh, in the Olympic sports. So anyway, I was very fortunate to have her as a, one of the early mentors and she taught all of us, all of the skinny little cyclists and runners and triathletes in our coaching group, like how to actually do Olympic lifts with a broomstick. And it, it was hilarious and I was horrible at it. Um, uh, but um, to, to your point, like her, what she was trying to drill into us was the movement first before yes. we actually weighted it. And we probably did that broomstick exercise for, I don't know, we met maybe three times a week for two or three weeks before she would actually like feel confident enough to, in us to like load the bar yeah. up. And yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you like when you're doing those things, like it's no, there's no penalty for starting out a little easier. No. And I mean, doesn't that transfer to, to running too? I mean, as for we sure. build up our endurance yeah, and our sure. base. So it's, it's, there's no difference there. Um, okay. okay. So then moving on from the hinge, you, you have your squat, which I think, you know, we've all been doing this since we were little kids squatting down. Um, below parallel is fine. <laughs> Some people were taught that that is not good. Um, but if you've got good form, that's not a problem. And there are, you can do your traditional back squat with a barbell on your back, placing the barbell on your back, squatting, squatting down behind you, driving up. There's also a goblet squat where you can hold a dumbbell in front of you and squat that way. That's very similar to a barbell front squat as well. So there are many variations of the squat. Would you also include like a reverse lunge or a lunge in this? I actually have a subgroup with that, which I was going to kind of talk about a little bit here of, of single leg work, which mm -hmm. would include like step ups, reverse lunges. You could, but I think if we kind of separate single leg work into its own category, as we kind of move into middle season work, that can be really beneficial as well. Okay. Okay. So we'll, we'll stick, yeah. remember, and, and I probably need to remind myself, this is still the first three months yes. of this nine month program. Okay. So we're doing, we're, we're, we're doing bilateral movements still at this point, especially yes. for a squat. And yes, for simplification. Yes, okay. we are. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right. So let's move on. Next category. Uh, and that's the carry. So you can do your farmer's carry, your butler's carry. You, there's all the different carry variations. And I would add on that one, you could also do something like a rotational work, like a wood chopper with a ball or the cable. It doesn't have to be just carrying work. And, and the carry... I think a lot of people, this is probably the category of exercises that most runners either have no familiarity with or look at it and go, I don't understand the purpose. It's easy, it's easy to just look at a squat and say, okay, yeah, look, my legs are working, right? Or it's easy to look at a bench press and say, okay, I'm going to work my arms. But with a carry, it's not that like, it's not, it's not that easy to visually ascertain what is actually going on. So for the uninformed audience out there, let's kind of go through like, why, why do a carry? Yeah. So a carry helps with basically you're working on st spinal stabilization and anti-rotation. So you can carry a dumbbell in each hand. We'll use a farmer's carry as an example. And as you walk 
you know, as a controlled pace, your body will want to rotate and shift and you're using your core to stabilize your spine and fight that rotation. Now, if you want to make it harder, you can hold a dumbbell on one side, just an offset load, and then you're working even harder to keep that body from turning towards the side with the weight. So it's one of those things that it's not as when you see it, it's, it's kind of like, what the, why, why are you just carrying things around? And then you do it and you go, Oh, I I get it. (laughs) You'll feel it. So I I love, I, so I love the vocabulary spinal stabilization and fighting rotation because it's not core work. Yeah, it's not a it's not a cruncher. No, I'm serious because yeah, a yeah. lot of people will take if you just take the program that you laid out, right? Push, mm-hmm. pull, hinge, squat. They'll do that, but instead of for this last category of carry, they'll do some sort of core work. They'll do sit ups. They'll do some silly like bicycle kicks and things like that to quote unquote. You're laughing. I can tell. Um, once again, another failure of audio. You can laugh out loud, Sarah. <laughs> 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 but they'll do something to like improve their quote unquote core, which yeah, I, I don't, for the life of me, I don't, I've never been able, and I've tried, maybe it's a feeble attempt, but I've tried to like trace that word back to where, where its origins were. And it's actually kind of hard to figure out like yeah. where, I don't, go ahead. I don't know the origin, like it, the core, because the core technically is like rib cage down to pelvic girdle front yeah. to back. I mean, it's the whole, it's, and, but most people think I got to do my core work. I got to go do my sit-ups or my crunches yeah. uh, or, and, and it's fine if you want to do a, you know, a little, but the problem is people do too much of that movement and it's not, doesn't have a lot of transfer benefit. That like, is hugely, <laughs> that is a huge statement, Sarah. Why don't you say that again? Cause I kind of interrupted the last piece. Oh no. Yeah. So it doesn't, there's no real world transfer of doing crunches to then getting out running. How is that going? There's no real world transfer for that people. It's more of an aesthetic and they feel the burn. But when you do something that actively asks your body to react in a way that will be called upon when you're actually working in real life, because I'm going to guess that you don't stand there and do crunches in real life, you know, but you might be running and slip on a rock and you got to, you know, your body has to correct and your body fights that rotation. Your core activates. That's reflexive strength. That's true strength. Okay. If anybody takes anything away from the podcast, it's that right there is that a lot of the core work that we do or that what's viewed as traditional core work probably has very little, if any transfer into the real world. So you can throw away your crunches and pick up something heavy and walk across the room. There's your substitute right then and there. There you go. Easy. And it will work your core. And it, will, and it will. It'll work yeah. your core in a more functional way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. So we've got our program for the first three yep. months, three yep. to five sets of three to five reps of one in each of those categories. If the, yeah, we'll keep it simple. Yeah, absolutely. That's it all simple. you really need. Yep, we're keeping it simple. You get in out of it. You're going to have a longer rest period. And chances are, because you're working at that intensity and in that rep range, you're going to be doing a lot of stress and muscular damage to okay. the body. There's going to be soreness. Okay. What that translates to is you're going to be sore. Yeah, you're going to be sore. So, okay, yeah. let's bring up two things with that. First off, I want you to clarify what longer rest period is in this context. Yeah. So this, at these rep range could be anywhere from 90 seconds to even two minutes of rest. Perfect. Are you a big fan? Are you a big fan of doing like the alternating uh, exercises? So instead of doing them in order, push, pull, hinge, squat, you would do like push, which would be arms, right? Squat 
and you could do it immediately after just to kind of like save time because it's a different muscle group. You know what I'm talking about? I've always, I've I've talked to different strength training, like gurus about this and the opinions vary. I just kind of want to know yours. Yeah, it does vary. I would say in this phase, I mean, honest, your rest should be rest. And if you can go from a push to a squat and get the full max out of, of each exercise, then there's no problem. But if you're pushing so hard on bench that you can't maintain the form to be able to squat because you're so fatigued in the upper body to be able to hold that position incorrectly, then you might need to have more of that rest between. I like that answer. Okay. However, yeah, well, we, as we move along, we can discuss how that does apply into the different phases. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So rest is roughly 90 seconds. Right. This is hard. And the context of the timing of this phase, I think is critically important because you're getting a runner roughly nine months out from their event. Let's couple that with the type of running that they'll actually be doing at this time. So they're doing hard strength training. Yeah. What does the running actually look like? We, let's just stylize it because we can go down the rabbit hole on this as well. But let's just stylize yeah. the running too. This is off season. Uh, I'm air quoting yeah, right now yeah. for those that can't yeah. see me. This is um, we are not doing any heavy, heavy volume at this point in running. So there's no, you're not pulling huge, crazy volume weeks and long, long, crazy training runs. And you're not doing a ton of really uh, focus intensity. Okay. This is kind of like a nice... If you're going to pair this with your running, this is more of that foundational, just you're, you're still getting some miles under those legs, but you're not doing a ton of, uh, qual- I don't like to use the word not quality because everything's quality. But well, well, let me stylize you know it I for mean. a second. The, the training sure. stress from the strength training is high and the training yes. stress from the run training is relatively low. See, so they're perfect. Simple. Perfect. Yeah. So they kind of, no, but I think the reason that I want, the reason that I want to bring that up in turn, the reason that I want to bring that up is because there's always a running context. And as we mentioned in the caveats and in the first pot and in the first podcast, whenever you're lifting hard and heavy, and in particular, when you're lifting hard, hard and heavy, something has to give. You can't yes. compile stress on stress on stress. And I, I mentioned, and I think this was in the audiogram that I'm going to send out. Well, it's in the podcast, but it'll be in the, uh, I'm getting confused on my timing. It doesn't matter. The audiogram <laughs> that I will send out for the podcast that we previously did gave this okay. vague allusion to like what I'm doing in the strength training world or what I'm doing personally from a strength training perspective right now. And I absolutely have to take running off the table, some run, not completely off the table, but I have to take some running off the table in order to lift hard and heavy. So, and that's that's fine. That's fine. That's just the reality. This is the time to do it. Yeah. And that's the point. This is the time to do it is in these early stages, your run volume is low, the run or, you know, the stress is low from the running, the stimulus that you're getting there so that you are able to have this higher stress slash stimulus from your strength training. Yep. There's no, there's no competition between the two at this point. Yep. Okay. Awesome. I think okay. we've encapsulated the first phase pretty Agreed. well. Three to five reps, three to five sets, lift hard, lift heavy, um, rest. rest, rest of 90 seconds. Do it when your run volume is low. Uh, what else do we need to talk about before we move on to the next one? No, think I we got think, it. I think that's, Oh, 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 oh here we go. Oh. What about rest in terms of like a rest week or a rest phase? Yeah. So it's kind of 
prevalent in the strength training world where you'll do kind of a periodized, you know, you have your macro and your micro cycles and you'll do like a three to four to five week build with a, with a deload week. And that's usually it's phased. So you might work with the same exercises within this phase, have a deload. And then you might say, maybe you've been doing a push up in your first phase. And then the second phase, you move to a bench press within this phase of that same rep. So you're still using the same movements you really focus on the movement mechanics and then you take a deload, which is still, you're still lifting, but the volume is decreased. And then you start a new phase and you start over. The volume in terms of the sets and reps or the volume in terms of the total amount of weight that you're lifting? It's the sets and reps in that deload. Okay. So that's going to, okay. you might only do, you know, you're going to do fewer sets of reps. Kind of, it's kind of an active reset week. Okay. So instead of like three by five, you'll do like two by three or something. Yeah. yeah so. Or even two. Yeah. You'll just, that'll be decreased. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. No, I think that's important because it's it's analogous to what most people will, uh, what most people will be more comfortable with with their run training, right? Where yes. they do three weeks hard. I hate this architecture. They do three <laughs> weeks hard all of the time, and then they yeah. do one like three or five day period that's quote unquote easy. But it's yeah. similar in strength training. You need to take a deloading phase. Yes. Which is the vocabulary in the strength training world for a recovery <laughs> week. <laughs> Deload recovery week. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Just a uh, training vocabulary. Oh, that's another question. Okay. We make things so hard. Oh, <laughs> well, I've always said this. It's because it's one of the, it's one of the very first forms of sport and training for sport is, yep. is they might have not have called it strength training back in the, you know, early Greek uh, days, back in the early <laughs> Greek days, but because it's been around for so long, it's just had the opportunity to be contrived in a gazillion different ways. So Agreed. Agreed. Here okay. So we got our first phase. Cool. We're cool yeah. with that. Let's move on to the next three months. First three months were months like nine months out from the event. Now we're like six mm-hmm. months out from the event. Yeah. So si- so this is kind of middle season. So we're that we start to transition away, um, and this is where a lot of our listeners are going to be right now. I have a feeling. Yeah, by the time I this agree. Comes out, this I agree. is going to be kind of in that. Yeah. So if you're you're just coming right now, this is kind of where you're looking to be. If your race is kind of six months out that window, um, this is going to be less focusing on that heavy that performance of the that rep range that we had before. This is going to be more of a three rep or three set eight to twelve reps area. So you're going to be lifting enough weight that you can leave one or two reps left in the tank, but you're not aiming to go to failure or up to that 97% max. So you're going to walk away and be like, yeah, you know, I had a couple more in there, not holy crap, peel me off the floor. Um, yeah. So you're still can focus on those movements, but this is when I also start to incorporate, um, if I didn't already is when you can start to work on those reverse lunges, the single leg work as well. Um, it's a good time to be kind of shoring up any weaknesses you might be finding as your run volume will be starting to do. They start to kind of meet in the middle as your run volume increases your volume of your lifting. Now, although one could say, but if I'm doing eight to 12 reps, that's higher volume than what we did before. But if you were doing five sets of five, that was potentially 15 reps, right? Yeah, I kind of view it as like overall stress load. Exactly. So it's and that exactly. So it's not only the rep range, but it's the overall stress that the body's because you're using less weight, you're putting less stress on the body. Yeah, it's hard for a lot of people though that aren't 
that don't like coach coach people either in in running or in strength training for a living to like internalize what those set rep combinations actually mean in terms of stress load. But I think the point that you're making is is that the weight the weightlifting like the burden that the weightlifting is placing on the athlete is being reduced. And the burden Correct. that the run that the running is being on is being placed on the athlete is increased. It's like a teeter totter, right? They've always got to kind of like balance each other out. Correct. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. So we've got this eight to three sets of eight to twelve construction. Let's kind of yes. go through the different movement categories and what examples of those might be in this phase. You already kind of mentioned the reverse lunge as opposed to a squat. Right. Let's try yeah, to move I, through them all and give a couple of examples. A great one. I mean, you can never go wrong in any phase of good old push-ups. If we want to do a push movement, it's full body. Um, I think everybody should try to build to be able to do strict push-ups. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I just think it's a great, you know, that again, that's true strength. That's yeah. your body. You're pushing it away from the floor. Um, even again, even the, the women out there, no girl push-ups. You oh, think everybody should I, go to regular straight up push-ups. I think everybody can aim to build there. There you You're go. not going to be there on day one, but yeah. I think that's something that you should aim. I think that's a great goal. And I think for most people, it's very, very accessible yeah. and attainable. Okay, cool. So, uh, and you don't need any equipment for that one. Yeah. Um, and so you can also be doing dumbbell push, uh, push um, dumbbell presses or dumbbell push presses. You can still be incorporating those exercises that you were doing before. You could still very well be doing a push press. You're just doing... A lighter weight and you're doing slightly more reps for it. Okay. So it's going to, you know, yeah. Uh, pole again, any of those polar rep, you know, cable row, barbell row, dumbbell rotational rows. There's, uh, I like rows. <laughs> There's lots of row <laughs> options there. I don't know if anybody's catching on inverted rows. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like Bubba Gump right now with Forrest <laughs> Gump. <laughs> I should get a t-shirt with all the rows and then the hinge and a great, you know, by now, hopefully you've really gotten that hinge pattern down. So you might be looking into even doing like a single leg Romanian deadlift, mm. getting really sassy with it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and it's then, so funny you mentioned that because I know so many people and I know coaches that do this as well. And I think it's a big error that start out with the single leg RDL when they're teaching somebody as opposed to a bilateral RDL simply because huh. the weight is less and they feel that it's a little bit safer. And I just kind of look at, I'm like, I get what you're like, I get, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Like you're trying you to be see safe. The argument. I yeah, can see, you can see, I can the see the argument, but I think that it's, it's harder because of the balance component. Yeah. And I've, so I've never agreed with trying to teach somebody if they've never done any strength training before, I've never, I've never agreed with the philosophy of trying to teach anybody in a unilateral type of way? I always start with a traditional Romanian deadlift or a, a, yeah. a traditional hinge and then progress. That, a, a, the single leg is a progression to me um, because of the balance issue and also just the mechanics of the movement. Yeah, so I'm totally. sure there's an outlier out there of someone who can get it better on one leg. Um, but generally, if you can't do a regular traditional Romanian deadlift, you can't get that hinge pattern down. Yeah. It's going to be but you know, significantly more challenging in a single yeah. leg position. Okay. Um, so and, anything different uh, in the carry, let's kind of move through the categories again. Anything different in the carry? Carry, you'll be carrying it for longer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, we didn't mention this in the first part. So normally in strength training, we, we talk about the volume in terms of set and rep combinations. It's kind yeah. of different with a carry. So in the heavy phase, 
what does the carry look like? Like, is it time or distance or steps or what? It can be all three. So you could, you could program it like 20 steps or, you know, if you belong to one of those fancy gyms that has a turf or a marked off area or to the water fountain and back, Um, but the weight is going to be heavier. So you're generally going to be doing the weight that you can control for say 20 seconds or. Okay. That's important because we're talking to ultra runners here. And they're going to view yeah. 20 seconds. It's like, 20, 20, why would I do anything for 20 seconds? Right? <laughs> like, I know ultra runners yeah. who do strides for 40 seconds. And I just like, I bang my head against the wall. I'm like, that's not a stride. Okay. You might as well just call it an interval at that point. Yeah. But um, so that's neither here nor there. But the point is, is when you're care- well, like during this heavy phase, the first kind of yeah. three months, that carry is, it's just shorter. And it's probably, it's actually probably less than 20 seconds. It can be. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it might even be just 10 steps, one direction, 10 steps, yeah. the other, you yeah. know, but it's, it's going to be heavy. Yeah. You will get calluses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you don't yeah. need to go outside to do it. You don't need a 400 meter track. No, you don't need to carry don't. around dumbbells around a 400 meter track. You don't need to be on the basketball court. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, good. No. So in um, this, in this phase, in the, the three to eight by 10 or eight to 12 reps, uh, phase Mm -hmm. that carry just gets a little bit longer. It's a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So you might do it 20 to 30 steps, turn around, come back. Yeah. Um, and this is a good time to start playing with other forms of carrying. I know we mentioned it in the first part, but maybe you couldn't control a good weight overhead in a butler's carry. So this would be a good opportunity to do a different variation of the carry because you're going to be using, you know, more reps. So you kind of give your permission. You've, you've built up that core strength and you're more comfortable in these different movement patterns. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about rest, rest between rest. sets. And then let's talk about the overall, like, like monthly or weekly rest architecture. Yeah. So rest between sets is going to be generally 45 to 60 seconds. Okay, so shorter, shorter than the first phase. Just shorter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So it's going to be shorter. Um, and you won't, you're not going to have that feeling that you need it as much. So, and this is like we talked about earlier, this is a good time where you could do your push-ups and then go to do your squat. You can kind of pair superset. We call it supersetting. Freaking strength training. Supersetting. And (laughs) get in the lingo and you can superset in all areas, but this is when supersetting plays out. I think to its best, this is its best side is right in this rep range. Because the, well, because the intensity is real, is a little bit lower. So you're not paying as much of a penalty for the lack of rest. Yeah. You're not sacrificing another movement. Yeah. I hate the super set the because it keeps like one is dumb. It's like, okay, whatever. It's super, no, it's super, 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 yeah, super. <laughs> super. But you see people do it three ways. So they'll do like a push, a squat and a twist. Mm-hmm. Push, squat, twist, push, squat, twist. Yep. I can't say that very fast push squat twist and then they're done they might do with a, their three sets. Yeah. Or they might do a push squat pull. Yeah. But I mean, at that point it's like, you're just circuit training, Yeah, which is totally different mm, or it might yeah. be in an orange theory class. That's another kettle of fish. That's totally, yeah, yeah. That's, an, <laughs> that's okay. a, yeah. So okay. Yeah. So, the, so okay. let's encapsulate this really quick. Three sets of eight mm-hmm. to 12 reps. This is in the middle. You've got six months out from the event, anywhere from six months yep. to three months out from the event. Three sets, uh, eight to 12 reps, 
for 30 to 45 seconds between. So it's a mo- 45 to 60 moderately yeah. heavy load. You could use the exact same exercises in the first phase, but okay. if you wanted to make particularly the legs, maybe more specific or uni- unilateral, that would be a good option there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be remiss if we didn't go back. This is bad interviewing by me. What are the, what is the weekly frequency? And you can, let's go to the heavy phase. Let's go back in time to the heavy phase first. And then we can see if that changes in this phase. Yeah. So to keep things simple, we're going to assume that people are doing a full body programming on this, on this, because otherwise you could literally all at once, because otherwise there are a way to break that up into an upper lower split or a push pull split. So if we're doing a full body split in that first phase, easily three, three days, three days a week. Yep. And if you chose to do it as a push-pull split or an upper-lower split, you could do even more four to five days. And there are some people that do that. And, and the split, just to clarify for people that just got confused there, because I got I did a little bit. No, that's oh, no sorry. disrespect to you, Sarah. No, 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 no. Since I'm Once again, I'm not a strength training expert, so it's hard for me to, to follow at the same time. It would be doing the push exercises on one day and then the Correct. pull exercises the next day. And then Correct. the push and then exercises, could, yes. the, what some somewhere down the week and the pool exercises another way down the week or another day Correct. down the week. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Or all upper on one day, lower on the lower other. On the, that's, that's more However, common. yeah, but in this performance aspect, you're probably going to see either a full body or a yeah. push pull. Okay. okay. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, let's just assume for the listeners going forward that we're doing everything on one day. So the frequency in the first day, the first phase is three days per week. Mm -hmm. Okay. Frequency in the second phase. Can still be three. Mm -hmm. However, most people are starting to find near the end of this phase that two days is adequate. Okay, perfect. This brings us to our next topic, which we alluded to kind of in the, uh, in the intro here. Now that there's this balancing of run stress load and strength training stress load where we're starting in this phase from a running perspective, we're starting to incorporate maybe intervals, certainly harder runs and Mm -hmm. certainly longer runs. How would one go about arranging a week? And we'll just, let's just use a two day per week just to keep it super simple. How would one go about arranging a two day per week strength training program, balancing out the hard and the long runs at the same time? Like when should those strength training, when should those strength training days be incorporated into the weekly program? Are we assuming the long run is on like a Saturday? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just like, let's just say, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I would give, you know, if we're in this middle season, I would give at least 48 hours between your long run and your lifting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you could lift on a Tuesday, Thursday, long run on a Saturday. That's okay. But I wouldn't, I would try to avoid lifting the day before a, a, a long run or a high quality run where you want to show up with really fresh legs. Yep. There shouldn't be much fatigue here. It shouldn't be much of a problem, but our focus is at this point now shifting more towards the running and the stress that that's placing on us. And we're moving away on the stress that the strength is giving us. We're moving more into our run. That's our, that's our focus now. Um, you, you want to build the training around the modality that you're focusing on. Yeah. The, the way that so I've, the way that I've, Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say we're now basically what we're doing is the, the lifting is 
adjunct to the running. The running drives everything. The lifting is just helping to support to keep us healthier as we sure. move on. Sure. Well, and it, so so two pieces is one, compromising the run quality would be mm-hmm. an error in my opinion, especially during this phase. And it, it's a little bit of more of a nuanced discussion in the first phase. But the way that I've always viewed this with athletes that uh, that I work with is you want to give the athlete as much opportunity to recover before the next hard or long or important run that they have. And wherever the strength training needs to go to, to suit that need is where it needs to be foot where it needs to be put. In the perfect scenario, that means that you do a hard workout in the morning and then you do your strength training that evening. Mm-hmm. And then you have, which means the strength training is quote unquote compromised and that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's a compromise that, that I'd be willing to take for almost every athlete. That means you at least have the next day to go easy. The day, probably even the day after that to go easier yeah. endurance. And then sometime down the road to, you know, two days down the road or whatever, you have your next important workout. But the, the, the point of all of that is, is that daily architecture enables as much space as possible from the strength training day to the next hard day. Now you could say that, okay, that makes that single day too hard, you know, doing the two workouts in one day. I, you know, I think that's a little bit more of an individual response and how much are you pushing on the strength training and things like that. But I think the point that both Sarah and I are trying to like communicate in, in like a slightly different way <laughs> is that, or the two points, I guess, is that the run programming has to take priority and therefore right. the strength training, you don't want to interfere or anything else. Right. Yeah. Um, and and the, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your point. Uh, Sorry. And, and in order to do that, you want to give us as much space as possible between the strength training workout and then the next hard workout. Go Sarah. Yes. And kind of, well, and just to piggyback on your comment about, you know, do I do the harder, you know, the strength training on my hard workout, you know, my hard run day. And somebody might argue that you're making that hard day hard, but that allows you to have your easy day easy. Exactly. And, and that's what I think, you know, that's a, better way to look at it, I think, so that your body gets that time to recover Yeah. Um, versus having a really high stressor every single day. Exactly. Well, it, I tell you what, I tell the story all the time. I cannot tell you how many coaches inside and outside of CTS, a lot outside of CTS, to be honest with you, a lot of coaches who their athletes have made this error of doing a, either moderately hard or a really hard strength training day on a rest day which is a total violation of a rest day. Like rest day should be rest. Strength training is not rest. Or thank you. <laughs> or or they do it on an easy day and it kind of compromises that easy day. And like I said, there could be some argument to that architecture depending upon like the coach athlete situation, but I think the point that we're trying to drive home is is that you're just trying to give as much space as possible to the to the hard workouts. It really gets complicated. We are not getting into this right now, but I just wrote about it in a blog that came out yesterday and in Ultra Running magazines and in Ultra Running uh, Ultra Running uh, magazine article for March. If you decide to do block style training with your athletes where you're doing two back to back run hard days, that's when the strength training architecture gets really difficult to start to incorporate and you gotta be like smart. There's such and a creative. nuance there. Yeah. yeah. And I, once such, again, that's... go ahead, Sarah. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's that is, that's when it's really 
key to have one thing, good coaching and, and how to structure that in programming or good self-awareness. And that's such a nuance to that. That's yeah. not something that's easily, e- there's not an easy balance there. Yeah. It's tough. Cause like the same, you know, one to few percent proposition that we just made with strength training in terms of performance improvement, you can make that same proposition with block style training. And so it's like, where, like, where are you looking to get these performance benefits out of? And that's, I, I just, I just think yeah. it's fascinating because in a lot of ways it is a pick and choose thing because there's only so much room for stress. Okay. That was a tangent on weekly architecture. <laughs> but I think that's a beautiful way to segue into the next three months. Uh, let's <laughs> do it. Three, let's do that it. That was a good segue. Yeah, that was a good segue, um, Sarah. You're a total pro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think the key is the fact that our run stress is increasing. So now we need to pick our strength training. How do we balance that? Right. Yep. That nuance of yep. run strength. So we're getting a lot, either we're getting really much closer to our event date. Um, we're getting some peak weeks in there. We're getting some really tougher tempo runs, intervals, things are happening. And there's a little tweaking we're doing right before it, like the last two to three months. Um, generally, this is more of like that two to three month range, I'd even say err on the side of the two month is we start doing more, I don't like to say accessory work, but this is really getting into more of that injury prevention slash corrective that we talked about the yep. last time. Yep. So this is going to be not heavy weights. In some cases, there may not be much weight at all. This is going to be a lot of balancing out weaknesses we've got. It's all supportive all this is doing is helping to support the running that we're doing, whether that means it's only one day a week or maybe two days a week. Um, it might be monster van walks. It might be <laughs> I monster van walks. Are, right monster van walks are like my favorite activity to hate. <laughs> I know. You, it's the bird. It's the bird. <laughs> it's all about the booty. Um, That's what, you know, well, it's yeah, a hot body well, part exactly. right now. Oh, we didn't even get onto glute bridges. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> But the the point here is if this is like, as we're ramping up the running volume and as we're getting closer to our events, we're taking the stress of the strength training off the table as much as we can. So anything we're doing in the gym is helping to work on any weaknesses we might be finding we're having. So maybe we're having, we're discovering we're having a little bit of issues with some IT bands. So we want to start incorporating some things to work through that and, and so on and so forth. Here's what I love about the way that you position that is that you're positioning this, the last three months here as accomplishing something right? You're accomplishing something that's additive to the run work because all too often what we think about in this, in these types of, with this type of training, and right now we're talking about strength training, but run training can actually fall into this category as well as a maintenance phase. And I hear this term get thrown a lot around a lot and it, it quite frankly irritates the crap out of me because Mm -hmm. I have not, I've been coaching for almost 20 years now. I've not had one single athlete come up to me one time ever in the history of my career, nor have I ever made it a priority for an athlete to maintain anything. We are always trying to improve. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean like pile on workload and you know, you always, you know, more work, more work, more work, harder, faster, more mileage and things like that. No, absolutely. But everything should be in the goal of progression not mm-hmm. maintenance. I'm not in the maintenance business. Yeah. 
I'm in the betterment I'm in the, business. I mean, yeah. Come on. Hell yeah. And, and, and exactly. And I think this is a great time. So, and, and if we look at our whole nine months that we've been working with, you almost go from least specific and more general to more specific for the individual. Right. So this part as, as with running. So this is the part where, where in the beginning, things might look very, very similar between two different runners, between the basic compound movements. We might get to this point where things look significantly different between runner A and runner B, because runner A might have an issue that they we need to address yeah. over here, and runner B might have more of an upper body core weakness where this person has a posterior chain and lateral hip weakness. So... It, it, you really are starting to dial in for the specific individual. Here. Yeah. And I think, I think for, for self-coached runners out there that are listening to this, this is the hardest to like, what do I do? Like, I don't know what I, I don't mm. know what that, well, I don't know what that means. It's, yeah. it's, we're in the business and we can either get a, get in front of a person and start to tease those things out, or we can ask them, you know, just over the phone and start to tease those things out. But for a self-coach runner out there, what is how did how would they go about determining what the specific programming would look like since it is so individual? Yeah, and that can be a challenge for sure. Um, so, if as most of our runners that are listening to this are going to be kind of coming in through that middle phase, so they still have some time to kind of think about this, right? As we approach this latter stage, so this is the point where maybe as your running has progressed, you notice that you tend to get IT band issues to kind of go back to that. You Maybe you get some soreness in your hips, maybe your feet. You have a lot of problems, weak feet, balance issues. These are, okay, what can I do for that? So um, if you have, you tend to find that you've got maybe discrepancy between strength between your two legs, you're going to be doing a lot more like step downs and step ups and single leg work and lateral work to work on the ladder. Because running, even trail running is a lot of very same over and over movements in kind of a similar plane. It's not as bad as road running right. in that sagittal plane, but, but it's still a lot of that repetitive. Um, so we want to kind of buffer the weaknesses. So it's it's hard to be very specific, I know, but I know. I know, but I think for most people, okay, you may just throw out some things yeah, that most people yeah, can Yeah, let's just from. give like, okay. so if, if and as coaches, so for those of you listening. This is hard to do as a coach. Yeah, so, so for those of you listening, it's, one of the really big challenges within coaching, especially the way that we do it at CTS, is we take a very yeah. individualized approach to our entire process. We keep our coach-athlete ratios relative, uh, relatively low. We don't have any templated programs or any stock. Here's your first week of foundation running or anything like that to pull from. Like everything's kind of built up by hand. And the way that we the, the way that we train our coaches is to is we give them a, just an overall generalized philosophy and we, and, and moreover, we're teaching them how to individualize that to each and every athlete. And as a consequence of that, what becomes difficult is, and I have this problem when I write actually, because I realize I'm writing mm -hmm. for a very big audience. But as a consequence of that, one of the challenges that we have as coaches, in particular, CTS coaches is making these big blanket statements. So, mm -hmm. All, yeah. all trail runners should be doing this one stair step exercise or all trail runners should be doing these five type, like exercises. Like that's really, really hard for us to do because we know how, 
how important this individualization component is. Yeah. So that's 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 a little bit of a background of why we're struggling, but we're still going to try. We're still going <laughs> to try. try. We're still going to try. Yeah, okay. to give me, to, yeah, the Five Point Magazine article, oh, like God. do these things, right? You know, you know um, I have a love hate relationship with those because, like, those lists. When I read them, I'm like, ugh. But then I go back and I'm like, damn it, I've got to kind of do the same thing on this. <laughs> Yeah, and I struggle with that, but I I will say, and again, talking in generalities here, um, that most people run or ultra runners included tend to be very weak in their glutes and hamstrings. So there's a lot of, we sit a lot average, you know, chances are most people have a job they sit at. They're not a farmer. (laughs) They're not working hard all day. Um, so uh, even at this point, this is a great phase to be doing like stability ball bridging curls. So you're laying on your back, calves are on a stability ball, raise your hips up, dig your heels in, bring the ball towards your, your glutes, and then extend out, bring your hips back down. Um, that can be pretty challenging. A lot of people wobble around on that. They, they find like mm-hmm. there's a core back to that stabilization. So you might just start with a bridge, calves on the ball, palms up on your back, raise your, your butt up in the air, your, your, your body up into the air, hold it and come back down. Um, that's a great place to start. Um, lateral step-ups are one of my favorite. Everybody knows about the traditional step-up, but a lateral step-up is a good um, movement to do to work on our lateral hip strength as well as, you know, our balance and uh, that movement. Um, I'll have to completely, I'll have to completely concur that I like a lateral step-up for a trail runner as opposed to a forward step-up. Yeah. Like I and just, not a lot of people are doing them. No, You'd be surprised uh-uh. at how many athletes I have where I'll program a lateral step up and they're like, I've never done this before. Bruh, I can yeah. go on that plane, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and on that note, you know, again, love hate relationship with the bands and the booty and the, the monster band walks. But for some people, there is a lot of value to putting a, a I like the cloth bands, the stretchy like mini bands mm-hmm. and putting it, you know, usually above the knee or some people put it right above the ankle eight to 12 steps laterally one direction that I like to do eight to 12 steps forward, kind of at a diagonal, Mm -hmm. go laterally back the other direction, eight to 12 steps backwards. Um, It really, yeah. And it's amazing how many runners are very, very weak in those areas because they're small muscle groups too. They're very, very small um, in the hip, the deep six in the hip there. Those are the muscles that make up the hip complex. Um, I still think a great, great place for this is just if you want overall strength is push-ups are great because a lot of people start to, especially in long ultra run events, get very, um, they have a lot of weakness in their upper body. A lot of fatigue sets in. So this is when our non-traditional core and some body work can play a good part. So your rotations, your carries, um, medicine ball slams are fun. Yeah. You know, you can have, you can have fun oh, yeah. and feel like a badass, yeah. you know? So, um, Yeah. So those are just an example. And then some, it even just comes down to doing some of the exercises you would have done, like say a Bulgarian split squat or reverse lunge, your lunge, you're just doing that uh, with body weight now or, or lower weight and really working on fine tuning your mechanics. Okay. This is such a great, this is such a great overview. Let let me try to, let me try to encapsulate the whole run of show. And then we're going to talk about a little bit more like, like practical nuance because not everybody lives in ideality where there are rainbows and unicorns and gummy bears everywhere. I know. Such a shame. So if we had an athlete in the perfect scenario or as perfect as we can get, they would have nine months to train. Okay. 
when we're combining strength training and running, we'll say that that that's a reasonable uh, that's a that's a reasonable training solution for this particular athlete. The first three months would be hard, heavy lifting combined with a medium amount of running. Right, yep. three to five right. uh, three to five reps of about three sets. Mm-hmm. The second phase, the second three months, so months for counting backwards from the event, six to three. Six months okay. out from the event to three months out from the event. Oh God, the subtraction's hard. The addition's hard. The subtraction's even harder. Six months out to Another the event. Another visual needed to be used. Oh, my no. face in that. Oh, no. Six months out to three months out to the event. The the reps go higher. Mm-hmm. And but the weight. The weight goes down. The weight goes lower, and so the overall yes. stress load of the of the strength training sessions goes down, and the overall stress load of the running goes up. Correct. At the very end, when yeah. the running is probably the highest, like you're doing a lot of volume, the run is absolutely yeah. the running needs to supersede any weight strength training prioritization by a magnitude of ten or twenty fold or hundred fold, yeah. depending upon your perspective. But a lot, I guess, is my point the strength training load goes down to almost nothing. And it's, yeah. And what you are doing is working to support any gaps you might have. Exactly. Just help support your running. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I don't make that statement to say that it's maintenance, as I mentioned earlier yeah. on that tirade. Yeah. I don't mean to make that statement to, to connotate that you're, that you're doing anything that's maintaining those gains. I'm, I'm, I'm doing that to say that you can do it with very little consequence to the impact that it has on your running training. That's the, that's the 100%. That's That's the takeaway with this. That's absolutely because doing those harder, heavier workouts, when you're having your harder, heavier running going on, something's going to give and you're not going to get the most out of either. And if running is your goal, which we've signed up for an event that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah, totally. It really, you're going to have a lot of fatigue. And like you said earlier, which I think cannot be said enough, strength training is not a rest day. Yep. I love that statement. Okay. <laughs> Let's, um, so that's, that's in an ideal world. And yes. all too often we work, well, most of the time, not all too often, <laughs> almost all the time we have to be in reality. All the time we have to be in reality. It's not always going to follow this. Hey, I get an athlete nine months out from an event or like four years if we're talking about Olympic cycles, Olympic year this year, right? That, you know, most people, they push the oh shit button. They're like, oh my God, I just signed up for this event and I've got five months. Like that's the reality for us as coaches and also for a lot of athletes that are training for events. They kind of, they, you know... Maybe they're neglectful. Maybe they ate too many Christmas cookies or whatever. <laughs> but they get behind the they get behind the eight ball in the the training that they that they should be doing. What do athletes do if they still make this yes no? If they still come to this answer, yes, I should include strength training or no, I shouldn't. If they still say yes, I should do that. Mm-hmm. I'm a reasonable candidate for that. Where sh- where should they do if they don't, or what should they do if they don't have this entire nine month run of show? What do they do if let's just say if they have five or six months? Like what do they do then? Five or six months, I would start in. Uh, to be honest with you, in the, that middle season, that three sets of eight to twelve, just go straight I mean, there. I yeah, because with what, you said five to six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if we've got two months, say before our race day or our event, where we're going to be kind of shifting more into mm-hmm. that, you know, the fine tuning that only gives you two to three months and 
chances are your run volume is going to be your things are going to be very focused for your event with your running. And I think that those heavier reps and sets, that first performance enhancement segment, you don't have a lot of time to work within that to reap any benefits. I mean, if you remember the studies we, we, we were reflecting on with the last one, most of those studies were at least, you know, around 12 weeks. Yeah. Yep. For some of those. Yep. So not to say that you can't get any benefit, but you won't get a real a significant amount of time to really groove into that. I think that you're better served getting into that middle season and maybe going on closer to the eight reps, pushing a little bit harder weight in the very beginning, just, you know, for fun to kind of test some things out, but very quickly get into that, that, you know, strength training that is serving your running, not the other way around. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I think that that's a reasonable approach. I mean, you're going to leave some of the architecture off the table, but you're still, it's yeah. not like you're not going to improve. Oh, the, the bigger mistake would be chopping off the end of the strength training piece. So you remove that piece where the strength training stress load takes a nosedive mm -hmm. and you just phase shift everything else forward. That would, I, I would say that would be an error if you have like too, not too few, but if you have a compressed kind of time frame to look at, because you have this training mismatch on the, on the strength training and the running side. Agreed. 100%. And that, you know, and then the next season you can just start earlier with that strength training. Yeah. This actually brings up a good question that we got on Instagram. We put it out a couple of weeks ago. This is from, this is going to go back to my, I can't pronounce people's names and I can't pronounce <laughs> people's Instagram handles as well. But uh, Rob Reed, Reederer, Sorry, Rob, if I butchered that, but he, he sent us a note on Instagram says, how do you know when you're doing too much versus not enough strength training? What do yes. you think there? The, the too much, I, I think that's generally what you're going to have is, is too much <laughs> for most people. And it's going to be, you are, you're, you're late, everything's too fatigued. So if you're lifting and by the time your long run comes up, that you aren't able to yeah. do any of your run, the quality of your run decreases as programmed. So it's supposed to be a very specific run, the parameters, and you can't complete it or you can't do it as a, you know, as programmed, that's a sign. So you're uh, using, I, I, I love that litmus test, the litmus okay. test of the next hard run Mm -hmm. as the indicator for too much of whatever beforehand, too much run training, yeah. too much strength training or whatever, like using that next hard run and the feedback and the, the subjective and objective feedback that you get from that next hard run in the context of everything else, obviously, but using that as the litmus test, I think is a brilliant way to do it. There's a lot of, there's a lot and you know, I always poke fun of strength trainers. There's a lot of strength training like gurus out there that'll have these like completely over, over convoluted spreadsheets to track training load and weight load and training stress and things like that. Just kind of how we do in training peaks on the endurance side of things. But despite all that, and I appreciate the effort that people, you know, put forth to put into those. I think there's value in that your biggest litmus test is the actual performance. It's always the performance. Yeah. And so if the it's always the performance. So if the performance is compromised, let's just run through the scenario, right? Let's say mm -hmm. you had an athlete, you had them do a hard workout, hard running workout. They had some sort of strength training session and then an easy day and then a hard run day. And that mm -hmm. second hard run day, they were just like off. They were a little bit sore and things like that. Like what are the steps that you would kind of, and we determined that there was too much training load, right? Yeah. What, what, yeah, what steps so, would you go to kind of like reduce that? So, it, you know, let's assume at this point they're doing three days a week of lifting and they're mm -hmm. in that 
eight to 12 rep. We'll yep. just, we'll, cause that's where a lot of people are going to be right yep. now. Yep. So if that's the case, they might need to go down to two days a week. They okay. might need to even go down to two sets. Okay. I mean, they might, they need to also reevaluate the weights they're using and be honest with themselves because sometimes you tell someone, you know, I want you to leave a couple in the tank and they're still going to failure. They're lifting as heavy. It's an ego thing for some sure, people, sure, right? Sure. You want to be able to, you know, so be honest with yourself of the weight that you're pushing around and the reps that you're doing. And remember that if it's affecting your performance, then you've done, you've done too much. But the first, the first removal mm-hmm. you would say is the strength training side. Like if you're doing three days a week, go down to two days a week. If you're doing two yeah. days a week, go down to one. Cause our running is our goal right yeah. now. And I, I would, I would, I would absolutely hundred percent agree with that. And the, the, I would, the caveat though, I would just position differently. I would just say, keep everything else the same. Yes. Keep the reps the same, the sets the same, the weight mm-hmm. the same. Unless it was a really big over, like the the strut, like they couldn't complete the workout. Then yeah. you look to reduce on all fronts. But if it's a little bit, just remove one day and usually it kind of course corrects itself. And it, so anyway, I try I tried to I try to pick like really simple and specific things and remove them entirely yeah. and then let it course correct versus like peanut butter spreading the Good point. the 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 whatever you're trying to remove to get the stress load and balance that's the only caveat that I'll add to that that's a really good question and quite common because we've talked yeah. about some of the load management pieces of this and it's not easy to figure out no And I think you brought up a really good point because if you just eliminate the one day and then you can see how that corrects, then instead of eliminating one day and reducing the reps and sets on the other days, well, what was it that worked? So if you eliminate, take take it as we do with other things, you just uh, take one thing out at a time, see how it responds, take something else out. So very, very good point there. Okay. So we've got this unidealistic situation, which is almost everything. (laughs) Athlete comes in four, five, six months out from an event. We're going to kind of plop them in to this architecture wherever they would fit based on the original interpretation of it. I would say either completely or with some small like coaching nuance, but that's that's going to be outside of this conversation otherwise we're going to be here until next week. Could you could you where does that run out? Like how much time is too little time? To where you would say, we don't like strength training is a horrible idea for you given this many months out from the event. Yeah, I would say if you're two months or less, you know, I mean, if you if you come in and you're like, I want to start tra- strength training in my events in two months, I think at that point your focus should be doing any kind of the more the corrective yeah. work at that point. We can address that. Um I really would look to start doing more of the lifting. You might again, you're you might get a month in. Yeah. Which again, it's not awful. You're, yeah. There will be, you know, but I would focus more on how can we support and strengthen the running at this point, instead of trying to create a whole new strength training plan, just as the running is getting more serious. Yeah. And even the corrective stuff, to be honest with you, like that close out, like once again, I've been in this situation two, three months out athlete says, Hey, I want to start doing this, that, or the other, you can still take this like super low risk approach. But I kind of look at it as like, I don't want to screw anything up. Like you're still, you're adding something that you could potentially, cause you're still kind of guessing, like, especially in a remote setting, you're still kind of guessing what those, what those weaknesses or imbalances or whatever Mm kind of are. And if every, especially if everything's going really well, yeah. I'm kind of like, don't, and that's, don't that's a good, very it. good point too. If, 
don't don't touch it. Yeah, I'd say three months for sure. Like anything less than three months yeah. after, you know, if you're in that three to four month range, you've got some play. But I would agree that you're absolutely right. If if they're not having any issues now, if they're having some issues, honestly, at this point, that's probably best served. Like they probably should see a PT. Like if they're starting to have some real major breakdowns with the running that close to the event, like in like a series, like an injury is popping up. Yeah, that's probably outside most scope. Yeah practice of most coaches yep. anyways. Okay. So. Let's, let's keep it on the reality tip then. And this okay. is a question I know a lot of, a lot of runners will have is they either don't want to go, they don't want to go to a gym for whatever reason, convenience, time, whatever. And they want to be able to do the same things that, or they want to be able to get the same benefits essentially that they can get in a gym with some sort of contriving things that they can uh, get at home. What are some simple like tools that anybody can use in any situation that they can either do in their home, their basement, their garage, stuff like that? Yeah. So you're asking somebody who's actually sitting in her gym right now, staring at all of her toys. <laughs> what does it look like? I want to know what it looks like. What does it look like? I'll have to show you when we're done. It's my little, we have a sauna. Well, just describe it. So, just, just, you can describe oh, it. So yeah. So I've got a, a weight, uh, like a rack next to me with five to 45 pound dumbbells, a pair of each. And then I've got a couple 35 pound kettlebells, 24 pound kettlebells, 12 pound kettlebells. 18 pound kettlebells, the stability ball, a full size concept to rower. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. (laughs) We have a, we have a woodway in the other room. Oh my gosh. Jeez, I'm girl. My husband didn't need to give me jewelry. He got me a woodway. That was, that was our North Dakota present to each other for surviving North Dakota winners. Um, and then a weight vest. Okay. (laughs) No trap bar. Come on. No, I know. Everybody's disappointed now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that's, we do have a, I know because you feel like a badass. All the barbells are in the garage. We oh, do have okay. regular barbells. Okay. Place. Okay. Let, so let's take it down people, a notch though. Yeah. Let's take it yeah. down a notch. You've got some proper equipment there. Let's like take it down like, like five notches. <laughs> yeah. Let's take it down from 11. Yeah, yeah. Um, a stability ball okay. is a great piece of equipment Sweet. that I think doesn't take a lot of space. I would recommend getting a pair of appropriate for most people, 15 to 25 pound dumbbells, you know, depending on the individual. Um, and or a decent sized kettlebell because there's a lot of work you can do with kettlebells mm-hmm. mm. and some mini bands. There you go. And like a, a, a longer looped power band um, that you see in some facilities. Those are all great places to start. And then from there, you can just go crazy like I have. All of that would cost 100 bucks, 150 bucks that oh, you yeah. described? Oh, totally. I mean, and it's pretty simple. Can, so simple. And don't be afraid to search Craigslist. <laughs> we that's where we got our weight bench really? our weight bench that's oh yeah 100 125 bucks oh wow awesome for our, our weight bench our weight rack with all the dumbbells wow that's awesome I know. okay i know um and then if you have a little bit more to spend i am a huge fan of the trx okay the suspension training system. yep mm-hmm. and most of those come with like a what i would consider because i have one i brought i bought one for the van because it's small, it's lightweight. I can hook it up to the ladder outside. And I know that I'm going to be places where I don't have access to a gym and I still want to do something like that. I've always been impressed. It comes with a reasonable instruction manual. It does. And they also have a really good uh, library on YouTube of videos and instruction as well. Um, And that is, you can do full body on that. So if you've got the space to hang one, I'm a huge fan of the TRX, especially um, as the running increases, because then it's just body weight. Yep. 
So needless to say, there's no excuse. You can buy a few simple things and you can contrive all of these different categories of movements that we've been talking about the whole time with very, very simple equipment. Uh, yes. Let's go further down the, con- <laughs> the contrived rabbit hole here. <laughs> How many rabbit holes have we gone no, down No, this is the only one I'm going to go down. But, okay. but, but it, it's pertinent because... A lot of uh, many people will look at forms of movement and forms of exercise and think that they're strength training when they are in fact not. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, I, we got a question on uh, uh, another question on Instagram, and I'm not picking on this particular person because it's a common question. Yeah. Um, but uh, Magical one one one. There, how's that for a name? Love you, brother. Um, would you consider schemo as as a possible strength training routine? Say three to four hours with twenty k avert and or sorry twenty k twenty k total and two thousand meets avert. Is that considered strength training? And I want to kind of broaden the discussion out because it's it's something that we see a lot, and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether it's schemo or sprinting uphill or doing drills uphill. There's a whole huge category of those things that people lump underneath this huge strength training umbrella. What are there any of those and what could they possibly be that could that that could that could possibly be considered strength training? Strength training. Okay, yeah, there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing: you often hear, and <laughs> we've talked about this before, where you hear people say, "Well, I'm going to run hills." That's strength training yep. in disguise. Running yep. hills. What running hills is is a running specific drill that makes you stronger at running hills. But it's not right? strength training. But it's not strength training. Right. You're not going to get the same response running up. It's it's running specific. Right. It's not strength training in disguise. Yeah. So it makes you stronger at running hills. Yeah, there's benefit to it. You, there is benefit, 100 yeah. percent But to say I'm doing this instead of a lunge right. and I'm gonna get the same stimulus, I'm gonna get the same outcome is not accurate. Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad we kind of like debunked that because there's a lot of them. And I actually, when I was in high school, I had the same thing. We used, I lived, I grew up in Dallas, there aren't a lot of hills there, but the one hill that we had, the, <laughs> the people that are out there, they're living in Dallas. They will know this landmark. It's Flagpole Hill, which is right next to White Rock Lake, which is a really popular running area in Dallas, Texas. And there's this one hill there. It's maybe 200 meters long and it maybe it goes up, I don't know, like 50 meters of elevation gain or something like that. I know. And we used to do like loops on it and we do skips up it and we do bounds and we'd sprint up it and things like that. And I, and I coach at the time who actually, I really like, I'm still friends with him today. He would make this, this correlation that it it is like strength training, quote unquote. And I didn't know anything at, you know, when I was 16 years old, I just, I just kind of took, you know, took the coach's advice. I kind of have the same opinion right now, like strength training is strength training. When you're contriving mm-hmm. it outside of that, it's, it can have a benefit, but it's not the same benefit as strength training. Exactly. And that's, and that's the, the differentiation. That's what I think, you know, don't delude yourself to thinking, oh, I'm running up a hill. So I'm doing this. I don't need to do lunges. It's like, well, if you want the response that a lunge will give you, then you need to do lunges Yeah, 100%. or squats or 100%. whatever it is. Insert exercise here yeah. in strength training. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we went through this whole nine month 
architecture and then the variance of that. If you get plopped in the middle, what about too much and things like that? Remember, that was only like one piece of what we talked about in the last podcast, right? This is strength training as an ergogenic aid is the umbrella that, that we gave it. There was this whole other piece, which is strength training for injury prevention, mm-hmm. which looks very similar to essentially the last phase. That's exactly that. Yeah. So if you were to insert it anywhere in here, that's that last phase. Basically. And can you do that year round? Yeah. Do year round? You can. There's not yeah. a huge impact on your running. Nope. A lot, don't a lot, need of, a lot of recovery. You don't need you a lot of recovery. Be, you probably yeah. don't periodize it because there's not enough stress to no. actually periodize it. Yeah. It's very gentle very <laughs> on the gentle. body. Well, it's I, very gentle. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I mean, it, it probably has a big Venn diagram overlap with physical therapy. So if you went into a physical yeah. therapy, physical therapist's office for some like injury, you would come at most of the time, you will come out of that with some type of, in your world, Sarah, corrective exercises that are going to look very similar to the exercises in this last yeah. phase. Yeah. As a matter of fact, because I, you know, working with clients, you know, in-person clients of uh, personal training, I will get people and I will find, you know, runners that I get in when I work on the base and I'll have them start doing certain exercises based on some issues. And they're like, oh, I had a physical therapist show me this, or I was doing this in physical therapy a couple of years ago. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very uh, reminiscent to a lot of folks of that, that kind of design. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've, I don't know. I, I always try to, I try to limit as much waste as possible whenever I'm mm-hmm. coaching athletes, even when the impact is, is like the training impact is very low. So in the corrective exercise sense, the training impact is, is very low. There's still a time impact and that's yes. real, you know, I mean, that's, that's real. And so while the, you could very easily take the argument of, oh, it ain't going to hurt. I hate when people throw that around, it ain't going to hurt. So you might as well do it <laughs> with the correctives. And you could very easily say that, yeah, it ain't going to hurt. I don't know. I mean, if you really maybe wanted a to, full rest day is better. Yeah. I mean, if, a full rest day if is you better. really wanted to split the hair kind of fine, you could say, man, maybe rest is your better, you know, your better injury prevention thing than doing these correctives. Maybe not, you know? So I, again, I, yeah, depends on the person, but that's, that's definitely, I think something somebody people should take into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like what we've now presented. This is like, I, I think that, I think that we're patting ourselves on the back a lot with this. Um, I think that anybody listening to this, what I hope they'll take away is that strength training, just like your run training, shouldn't be static throughout the course of the year. It should be balanced with the type of run training that we're going to do. And this actually brings me to, to another caveat that I'm going to kind of get into in a second. And then if you're looking at it from an injury prevention standpoint, you can take this last phase that we uh, discussed and, and kind of do it year round. But what about the proposition for an athlete that wants to start strength training? And I love this conversation because it's like a philosophical coaching conversation as well. They want to start strength training, but they know, they know that three months out from their event, four months out from their event, five months out from their event, they just can't keep up with it. They can't keep, keep up with it because of the time commitment. They can't keep up with it because of the training commitment. Some con- it doesn't really matter at that point, right? They just can't keep up with, with the strength training. So they've done like phase one and maybe half a phase two or whatever. And you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, from the onset that they're going to have to completely remove strength training for the last four months of their training. 
in your opinion, we'll bat this around a little bit. Is that still a viable option to do? I believe it is. I believe it is. Yeah. Because let's say we're starting there. They start at the very beginning of that nine months and they're mm-hmm. doing that more performance set, you know, X, you know, yeah. set up. Is that going to make you stronger in the running that you're doing following that? Is that going to set you up for success? Is that laying a foundation of success? Is that helping shore up some weak areas? Is that, um, I, I do believe there is a benefit there. Okay. I, I, you. Well, I, so I agree with that. I'll take a little bit more of a sophisticated approach though. I think it's a, I think it's a second order benefit. Yeah. So clearly the first order benefits that you get from strength training in their primary, it's primarily running economy. Yes. You can say that there's, you, you can argue that there are others, but let me stylize the argument into that. It's primarily running economy. That is an acute adaptation. And that acute adaptation comes and goes acutely. So if you remove the strength training stress, you're removing whatever benefit that you then have just got. That's the first order effect. You do, you do a strength training intervention, 12, month, 12 weeks later, you measure their running economy, their running economy is better. You remove the strength training, and 12 weeks after that, likely, as long as everything else is the same, which would, I mean, that's a really hard intervention to do. <laughs> we're, we're living in a real, uh, you know, yeah, non-reality yeah, yeah, world yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that once you remove that strength training at a certain point, that acute adaptation will go away. But here's the second order effect. And I don't think people think about this a lot because this happens with altitude as well and, and yeah. heat and heat stress. So you put the intervention in place, you get the, you get the performance bump. Because of that performance bump, you're then able to do a higher workload. So you're re- let's just take a track runner. Your 800 meter repeats are faster. Your yeah. thousand meter repeats are faster. Your your one mile repeats are faster. All of your endurance runs are faster because of this acute adaptation. The second order effect of the training stress implication for all of those runs being faster that lasts almost for forever. If you could totally remove the stress, of course it goes away, (laughs) but that lasts for months and months and months and months because you've got, you're literally training harder. Like you're literally imposing a higher absolute amount of stress on the body. And that has implications far down the line and far longer than that acute, acute piece. So I would say that it's a, it's, it's reasonable whether or not it's right is another conversation because that's individual athlete. But I would say it's a reasonable argument to say, even if the strength training intervention is short, three months, four months, whatever, and not nine months or a year, even if it's short, you can take this second order benefit as another rationale to incorporate the strength training piece. So, it, so so anyway, this whole I, I think when we trivialize the use it or lose it phrasing, meaning yeah. you stop doing it and automatically you lose that adaptation. We do the same thing on the cardiovascular physiology, right? You stop doing VO2 max work, your VO2 max goes down. When we tri- <laughs> when we trivialize these training arguments as that, it really doesn't do anything justice because there are always second order effects of getting of getting bumps from a training intervention. And like I said earlier, you can say the same thing for altitude, right? Yes. You improve heat. your yeah, right, heat, yeah. right? You improve your body's physiological capability for handling stress, and they can handle a, a higher absolute workload. That trickles on down the line. Ironically <laughs> enough, that's a big argument for longer sentences for dopers 
is this mm. trickle down training effect. It, but it's, yeah. the, I mean, I think once again, I mean, I use that as an, ex, I use that as an example to say that any intervention that you use, strength training being one of them, any intervention that you use, you're getting the acute effect, but then you're also getting second order effects down the load because the athlete can handle a higher absolute workload. Yes. That was a really long tirade. Sorry about that. No, that was beautifully <laughs> put though, but that was, that was really well put. So yeah. I think, I think that absolutely makes sense. So and, don't, and so don't justification. get, so don't get locked into okay. a use it or lose it mentality. That's what I, that's what I was trying to like get, get out of that. <laughs> We better, got there in the end. Yeah, got there. It's it's better better to have it for nine months in the perfect scenario. Than not to have it at all. Then, but yeah, better to have it for nine months. And I would say that as long, I, I would say going back to like the how short is too short, right? These are all like coaching conversations that we've had. Yeah. I'll say as long as you have like a reasonable, you know, 10 to 12 weeks at time or whatever to actually like yeah. do some productive, like like strength training as an ergogenic aid, that'd probably be the minimum effective dose. Agreed. Um, as yeah, long as I you would, have that amount of time, you can still make a plausible argument to say that you'll get a benefit, even if you have to remove it later. Might not be as strong, but there's something there. But there, might, but there could there could be something there. So anyway, yeah. okay. I'm glad we talked. Good about point. That. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. we talked about that. Okay, Sarah. Anything else you want to go over for the listeners now that they're fully informed and educated, and they're going to go away from this and buy a you know, set of kettlebells and stability bars and trap bars. Hopefully if they listen to me, <laughs> anything else you want to mention to the audience? Uh, no, just don't, don't be afraid, you know, especially me and you're running your, you know, in your season and you're not ready, willing, you know, ready to incorporate this, but don't be afraid to, to keep this in mind down the line and, and incorporate this into your, your run programming at some point. Cause as we just talked about, I feel like there is great benefit, um, especially my side of things, I think in the injury prevention area as well, it's, yeah. it's pretty important. Awesome. All right. We'll leave it at that. Sarah, I appreciate your time. Second time around. Um, we got it. <laughs> yeah, we Nailed got it. it. No, Nailed no it. screaming cats this episode. No so. screaming cats. I think everybody appreci- <laughs> will appreciate the screaming cats. That episode dropped this morning to give you guys a little bit of context uh, of where we're recording. So we'll see how many people hate the screaming cats. We got your mic working this time, which is great. Yes, but, uh, yes. I, I, Thank I, you. Yeah. Well, Sarah, as always, I appreciate your time coming all the way from Germany. I know the time difference is always hard for you to attend wow. some of these things, but I totally appreciate awesome. it. Thanks for having me. Cool. All right, Sarah. Bye. All right. And there you have it, guys and girls, people of the ultra running world. Hopefully you all have a very good framework for if you want to incorporate strength training into your ultra running routine, how to actually do it. A couple of big points that we emphasized during the podcast and I'll and I'll emphasize right now is that your strength training routine just like your running routine should not should not be static throughout the year. If you're doing the same thing in the strength training room, you're lifting the same weight, same set rep combination for you know more than 3 months at a time, really, more than 2 months at a time to be honest with you. You're doing the same thing time and time after time and time again, it's probably not going to do you that much good or at least the good that you're getting is deteriorating 
as you're doing those monotonous number of sets and reps. So change it. Change it in accordance to your running. As your running starts to become a higher priority in your training program, your strength training should become less of a priority and the impact that that strength training has or how hard it is should absolutely go down. I hope you guys take that, that single fact right there away from this, from this podcast, vary your strength training in accordance with your running. As the running goes up, running gets harder, strength training should get easier. And you can also do that vice versa. Appreciate you guys for listening as always love the heck out of you guys. If you have not had the chance to give this a rating on iTunes, go ahead, go on over to iTunes, give it a rating a review or just simply subscribe that helps the podcast out a lot. As you guys know, no advertisements on this podcast. I'm not trying to make a dime off of it. I just want to present it in, or just want to present all the information in a fair and honest way to you guys. And I don't want advertisers to kind of mock up the middle of it as it always, or as, as it has the tendency to do. So the way you can help out is tell a friend about it. Go give a rating on iTunes. I would really appreciate it. Thanks again to Coach Sarah for helping out with this podcast, really directing it. She re- she really is really, really fantastic, uh, both on the run training side, obviously. That's why we, why we hired her at CTS, but also with her background in strength and corrective exercises. She adds a wealth of knowledge and practical implementation uh, to the group that we had. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thanks again to the listeners, you guys. And as always, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to be at Trans Grand Canaria this weekend, helping out a couple of athletes and meeting with the Spartan people. I'm looking forward to that. And then I will be at Lake Sonoma. I'll be out there with the van in the middle of April. What's the actual date on that? I think it's April 11th. Anyway, I'll be out at the Lake Sonoma 50 supporting athletes there. We've got a ton of CTS athletes there. I will be taking your questions out of the Coopcast mobile. I still don't have a good name for this, but out of my van, which I've converted the back of it into a mobile recording uh, studio. I recorded some questions from some athletes at uh, Black Canyons uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was cr- it was great. We're going to load those up uh, into a podcast, uh, and I'm going to do the same thing at Lake Sonoma. So... If you see me at Lake Sonoma, come on by, come on in the van. Love to have you there. Record a question and it will get read or it will get played because we're going to play the person's voice. It will get played live on a future edition of the Coopcast and we'll absolutely answer that question and pick it apart in every nuance and detail, just like we do for the rest of the of all of these podcasts. So thank you guys for listening. Like I said, appreciate the heck out of you guys and we will see you out on the trails. 